Welcome to podcast two, two, one. I'm Heather from Wiggly Wigglers and I'm sitting here talking to you today, dear listener, from the Wiggly sofa at Lower Blakemere Farm. And no Ricardo, because he's at Malvern's show, hopefully selling, but probably chatting. But I have got Farmer Phil. Who is indeed real and not made up. We'll find out why Farmer Phil was thought to be a character, an imaginary character later. But on this week's show, we've got how to make a green roof, lots of facts on sunflowers. Did you know that the national flower of Russia is a sunflower? I didn't, but that might explain the variety Russian giant. It does indeed. And we've also got a problem on our Facebook group. We've got Solvay Graves, who's not received her turf order. So sorry about that, Solvay. We'll find out why, how this can be sorted very soon. But first of all, we've got a recipe from Ross Boardman about wild garlic. So Ross is from 99 Station Street. If you haven't been to his restaurant, go. It's in... Burton-on-Trent. Where they make... Beer. <laughs> Quite. Here we go. Heather, after finding this year's crop of wiggly wild garlic nestling under one of the sycamores at the front, I wanted to update a jaded barbecue classic. So here is a real homemade potato salad. Sounds best at potato salad in our family. Uh, not the cubed phlegm in a carton <laughs> available from most Uber markets. Oh, I've not had bought potato salad. That's too expensive, isn't it? You have had bought potato salad. What, cubed phlegm? Well, <laughs> no, he's just not being very um, um, complimentary about their offering. Right. OK, so what you need is... One pound of salad potatoes. He says Anya are great for this, but there's no doubt in my mind, salad blues are best because you get blue potato salad then. But that's up to you. Shetland black. I've just planted my Shetland black in the Wiggly Garden and I have weeded for Britain. Anyway, you need one pound of salad potatoes. You need six wild garlic leaves. You need eight mint leaves, black or garden mint. You need some scissor-snipped chives, about a tablespoon. You need a couple of pinches of fine sea salt. Oh, he's so posh, isn't he? <laughs> and you need mayo to coat and hold the herbs. I presume, Ross, that's homemade mayonnaise, made out of egg whites, not bought and Hellman's. Anyway, boil an ample pan of water. It has to be able to hold all the spuds at one time without cooling down. Add the spuds in one go and simmer for 20 minutes. Drain, then plunge them into cold water. When they're cool enough to handle, cut into one centimetre slices or chunks if you use rounder potatoes. One myth to dispel is that you can cut leaves such as basil and wild garlic with a sharp knife. They do not bruise. I don't know what you mean. I don't know what you mean, Ross, so you'll have to phone in. But anyway, take your mint and wild garlic and roll into a cigar shape and gently cut into thin ribbons. The posh term is chiffonade. 
The chives should be scissor snipped as short as possible. You want small tubes of flavour rather than grass in a salad. <laughs> Pop the pots in the bowl, add mayo and salt and then herbs. Mix by hand and add more mayo if needed to keep the consistency. If left a while to cool further, the gorgeous smells will start to fill the kitchen. Great with most barbecue food and especially fish. I used to enjoy hot gravy with potato salad. That's lovely. You're a silly sausage. Ross, thank you very much for that recipe. 99 Station Street, award-winning modern British brasserie in Burton-on-Trent. Let's have a Monty cast and then afterwards we're going to hear about Farmer Phil's boxing herb. My second fact on sunflower is... Sunflowers were grown by American Indian tribes throughout North America. The seeds were used in many foods. They were crushed into flour to make cakes or bread. Monty, bring it on. The Monty Cast, a weekly fact on wiggliness. Moths use their long tongues to sip the nectar in the base of the flower tubes of honeysuckle. Another Monty Cast next week. Thanks, Mont. A long time ago, some parts of the sunflower were used as a medicine to cure snake bites. Well, I'll be. Right, Salve and her turf. I love bringing you good wiggly reviews, and, and, you know, there's lots of them, but here we go. Salve's got a gripe. I am so disappointed. A grave gripe? Indeed with WW as the wildflower turf that I paid for on the 24th of March never arrived and now they're not giving me a refund either. This is the second order I've had problems with so I don't think I'll risk a third attempt. Oh dear. Now this is not good. It's not good and Solve is a very good customer of ours and we would hate to lose her and what's happened is there was a problem with the dispatch of the wildflower turf. In fact we've had a few problems with wildflower turf because at the moment we are rejecting it quite often because it is very very bare but the lovely chap who grows the turf says says Get over it because it is fully seeded and it will thrive, but at this time of year it looks bare. But the problem is customers don't want bare turf and so there's a few issues. Basically, we must have rejected the wildflower turf so it didn't go out. Then we asked James to replace it. He's not sent it because of some other problem. Um, So to end this saga... Solvay's refund was supposed to go through, I think, on the 30th, and she was due to have her turf resent free too. So it's not a lack of will by Wiggly Wigglers, it is just a set of muck ups. I suspect now, the... much as I wouldn't want to land anyone here in the cart, all I will say is. Gareth is on the case of sorting it out this very moment as we are recording. So, Solve, if it's not sorted by tomorrow, (gasps) there'll be a rumpus, there'll be a rumble. 
in the Wiggly office. I would add that I suspect that the wildflower turf is looking bare because of the later colder spring. It is because of that and lots of people understand that and lots of people don't. And when you've sent people turf that is full of ragged robin and all sorts of beautiful flowers that are about to bloom and then you send someone what looks like a few patches of grass <laughs> it doesn't go down well so whether or not we should update our website probably we should but james keeps saying and i think he's right it's growing like mad now so all will be well and those people who've got turf i know it will be fine because obviously it's seeded and on that note before i go to my next sunflower fact do you want to know how to plant up a green roof go on then Right, here I we should go. think the first important thing is to make sure that your roof is good, strong and watertight. The most important thing is that the roof is strong and waterproof. <laughs> <laughs> DIYers would usually use pond liner material. This works well. Once waterproof, the roof is ready to have the substrate. A fleece can be used to protect the liner from damage while the substrate and the turf is laid. But provided this is done with care, and the waterproof layer is tough, a fleece is not essential. There's no need for extra drainage layers on small or pitched roof. On a large flat roof, you'd need to have drainage. We saw lots of wildflower turf roofs in Madeira, didn't we? We did, yeah. And sedum roofs. The perimeter of the roof needs to have a surround that will support the hessian bags. This is commonly a board that is 100mm deep and it's anchored to the roof in a way that does not puncture the waterproof liner. On <laughs> obviously, on flat roofs, the water must be able to escape so the turf doesn't sit in waterlogged substrate. When laying in the hessian bags, it's most important to ensure that each bag is butted to its neighbour to form a material onto which the turf is laid. Therefore, the bags need to end up at reasonably uniform thickness. If there are any bags left, the substrate in them can be spread over the laid bags as a screed to even out any voids. Have you pictured it in your scene? So you've got lumpy bed and now you're just going to skim it with any leftover stuff. Lay the turf over the substrate, trim to suit the area to cover. So basically, think of this exactly as you would be laying a carpet. Make sure that you've got your skirting board sorted. Lay your carpet and then finish the edges off. That's it, isn't it? What you're trying to say is make sure you fill the holes in in your floorboards before you lay the carpet on them, otherwise it all ends in tears. Quite right. Looking after your green roof. Water the turf well while it establishes. Water during extended dry spells. One cut a year in the autumn. Remove any material. Use a strim or shears and rake up. Just like your wildflower garden. I was going to say, I think you want to be careful using the old ride-on lawnmower up there. Particularly <laughs> if you're Ricardo. Uh, minimal fertiliser. It doesn't like fertiliser. But in year two or three, you can add a bit if vegetative cover is limited. So if you've got those bare patches still, <laughs> put a bit of fertiliser on. Once the turf has flowered and set seed... The roof becomes self-sustaining as the seeds drop into the substrate and will grow in the future. Well, that's just a jolly job. That, of course, is for a wildflower roof. Lots of people have sedum roofs, but if you want to attract lots of wildlife and really be sustainable, wildflower turf, I think, is much better. But some people don't like the look of it because it's a bit... Um, 
wild. But I think it looks really good. Sunflowers. Many years ago, sunflower stems were used to fill life jackets. Well, there you go. Boxing hairs, Phil. Boxing hairs, yeah. Ploughing this week, we've been planting peas. Oh, God. I've said so much about them darn <coughs> peas. Why don't you just get them in the ground? How many acres are there of them? Well, we put about 100 in. Right. But you've been planting peas for the last millennium. <laughs> Just just a couple of days. Has your phone gone off? No, it hasn't, but I just remembered that it switched on and I thought I'd better preempt it going off. So I'll switch it. Oh, no, it's all right, I've switched it off. Oh. Life is good. Planting peas. Planting peas. And yesterday, in front of me in the tractor, were two or three hairs. Just a minute, let's get the scene pictured correctly. Are you ploughing? What, what machine the, have you got on? I do on? the ploughing. Yes. So I'm in my tractor. In what the sort? class yes so light green and in the field in the stubble field in front of me are two or three hares dashing round like they are completely off their heads mad march hares well in this case may hares <laughs> right but every so often they stop and have a good old box and sort of tumble over each other and then they set off for another five minutes mad dash round the field and it's quite entertaining to watch isn't it a shame that we're not recording this podcast on May the 4th. So I could say, may the 4th be with you. <laughs> but we're on May the 6th. And for those of you listeners who want to know about boxing hairs, we'll just take a moment to reflect on the election. That was the moment. We haven't got anything to say because the whole country is muddled up. We're confused. I have seen ten people this morning. I've seen Sunshine Radio, I've seen the Wiggly Office, I've seen all sorts of people, and they are all completely confused. <laughs> and none of them are happy. There's one content person, and it's the green lady in Brighton, Caroline Lucas. Yeah, she's she's well. content. Well done, Greenie. Nice to see you there. She might actually have quite a valuable role to play in a minute. I would think that her phone is probably already ringing. Mm. Moving on. So these hairs, what are they up to? Is it a sex thing? Yeah, it is, yes. Right. It is their time of breeding, and they can actually breed at any time of the year, but they normally start in March. This year, I suspect it's a little bit later because of the weather and all the rest of it. But do you have to be warm to have a bit? Well, it's spring, isn't it? It's day length and so on. The idea is to have the young into conditions when there's food and warmth and the weather's not too inclement. Which oh, be... sorry, I thought it got warmer so you felt like a bit. Well, that may be in your case. But that's... <laughs> oh, no, stop! <laughs> that's probably not how the hare thinks. OK. <laughs> I will read you a little paragraph which will explain the situation. They can breed at any time of year, and the main season is between January and October, with most young born between March and September. I suspect this year it'll be a bit later than March. Spring is the main mating season, and this is when mad March hares may be seen. Sometimes a whole field of them dashing about in a demented fashion, leaping in the air, chasing and boxing with each other. The jacks do most of the boxing. Is that the, the boys? The jacks are the boys. Either with each other in a struggle for social dominance, or with the jills, which are the females, as a prelude to mating. The female tries to defend herself by boxing with a male who can be quite aggressive. He will mate with several females. Oh, naughty old boy. 
after a gestation period of 42 to 44 days, so not long, a little bit over a month, two or three leverets, which is young hares, are born in a grassline nest within a form. Now, a form is a little scrape that hares sit in. They don't live underground at all. They live on the surface all the time. And so, don't they get wet? Yep, yeah, they do. Their place of rest, if you like, is just a little hole. It might be partially natural, but you can find them sometimes, and they're a little hole that they cutch down in. And that's the form. So young rabbits, not hares, are born blind, naked, and helpless, whereas a baby hare is born fully furred and with their eyes open. And after birth, the mother puts each leveret in its own form, usually in long grass, and visits them once every night to suckle them. While she's away, the leverets lie low and still to avoid detection by predators. Wow, imagine that. Well, that's, for me, that's their big danger, because, of course, that makes them highly vulnerable to farm machinery, and for us, combining, you have to keep your eyes open, because they're defensive. Yeah, but they won't be there then, because that's too far on. They are there then. That's when I get to see most of them, because they're quite happy in the cereal crops now, but at combining, they're not. When the mother is approaching, she gives them a low call and the answering calls help her to find them. And if what you, sort of low call? Well, it's like a sort of squeaky chirrup, but you can hear them. If you go out into our fields, you can hear the mothers calling to the leverets of an evening. Saying, Father Phil's coming with a combine, <laughs> well, for God's sake, son! They don't seem move, because he's going to just harvest you and you're going to be in the thrashing machine and you're going to come out the other end as straw! One of the things I did find out that I didn't know... The young leverets are independent when they're about three weeks old, which Good is effort. staggering, really, when you think about it. Birds they... are independent at 14 days. Sorry? Birds. They can fly within that, 14 days. That's true. But this is a, a, quite a vulnerable animal. You know, the buzzards like leverets. But they take eight months to reach adult weight. There you go. But from my point of view, we've got hares pretty much in every field, at least a pair of them. Do they eat your seed? No. They used to be shot quite extensively around here because they are bad news for sugar beet, which is precision drilled in rows, and that they would eat off the young plants, which would leave quite sizable gaps in the crop. Because Ross has a recipe for hair (laughs) Ross seemed quite keen on (laughs) the sound of my hairs. But no, we don't shoot them. They don't cause us any problem at all. They live quite happily. Although I'm told that nationally there is a decline in hares, I haven't seen any decline round here. We have got loads of hares. So you shoot rabbits and admire hares? Well, rabbits breed much more successfully than hares, and rabbits will eat a cereal crop down to the floor. They'll eat grass. They'll eat anything they can get their hands on, frankly. Do you know what they ate the day before yesterday? I hate to think. They ate Bridget at Caves Follies Nurseries plants that she put into the new Malvern Spring Garden the night before they ate the lot. Oh dear. Yep. Probably not politic to sit on your garden with a shotgun at Malvern Spring Gardening Show. Perhaps. No, what she went for was some um, fluorescent council fencing. I helpfully pointed out to her that I felt a small rabbit could get through the hole and she said that she'd lost her sense of humour and that I was to go back to my stand and put my head in the beehive composter. (laughs) That's probably a fair comment. Yes, or stick it up my... Anyway, Mm. Uh, I thought it was very funny. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, sunflower fact, here we go. Why are we doing sunflower facts? I'll tell you in a minute.
The head of a sunflower follows the path of the sun as it moves throughout the day. It's a chemical inside the plant called auxin. Yep, growth hormone. That makes the flowers do this. Well, a whole bit. Anyway, Farmer Phil is a fictional character, or not. Yesterday, I went on my way to Lord Scudamore's school in Hereford, and I'll be going there again today. Yesterday, I went to talk to the infants department, and I've got to say, right, there was 200, 250 kids, and they were completely into growing. If one of them put their hand up to tell me he was growing strawberries, the other one put his hand up to say he was growing raspberries, there was carrots, there was everything happening. They were totally into it. They knew so many facts on sunflowers. They've got quite a big garden at Lord's School. They're doing it at home. But they've got a garden at the school, I think. But they were fantastic. Anyway, it, it turns out there was three Russian children in the audience... And so I was able to tell them that not only is the sunflower their national flower, but also our seeds were called Russian giants. So there was a chance that they would have the best chance of winning, I felt. But also in the audience was mine and yours nephew, Alfred. Alfie was in the audience. Took me ages to pick him out because he was hiding. And he probably wouldn't have been the first member of our family to be embarrassed by yourself on No, occasion. anyway, I've got a text through from Di. His sun- mother. Who said, your sunflower competition launch went well at Lord Scudamore School. Every child is growing sunflowers and they could win a bike and the bike's donated by Luke at this school uniform shop and it's a lovely local thing, there's no catch that I can think of. Everyone has to bring their sunflowers in on September the 11th to town. Can you imagine it? Through the sunroof. <laughs> sunflowers coming in. I can't wait. Anyway, she said it's all gone very well, but Alfie has had a big row with his friends because his friends decided that Farmer Phil was not real and that they had to grow a sunflower bigger than Farmer Phil's and that he wasn't a real person. And Alfie had had to point out that he was real and he was, in fact, his uncle and they would be definitely keen on growing it. I don't think you are technically his uncle. That's about to open to discussion, I suppose. But whatever I am, when I last looked, I think I was real. Yeah, absolutely. Any more facts on hairs? Apart from the fact that lots of things eat hairs, particularly the leverets, they are an animal which, although they have three or four young per litter, if you like, and they can have three or four litters a year, most of those leverets won't make it because of predators. And amongst Well, it's the, a daft idea to leave them out in the open. Well, it is, although it's amazing that if you, I've watched the buzzards hunting them when I'm disturbing them with the combine, which is interesting because it's quite a conundrum. Well, I suppose they can run fast. Well, they can run fast, and that's their main form of defence after they've tried sitting very still. But, of course, if I make them move with the combine and I've got the buzzard over the top, he knows that, and he's waiting for me, and he'll come and kill them, if he can, when I make them move. That's quite a difficult thing. I mean, there's not, not a great deal oh, I can do about it. Oh, it's a farmer-filled dilemma. But, uh, anyway, amongst other predators there are foxes fairly obviously stoats i mean a stoat would be well certainly similar sized if not smaller to a leveret but they are very effective killer stoats buzzards owls may eat leverets there is potential to believe that badgers may eat 
lever it if they can catch them. Well, that's farmer Phil propaganda, anti-badger. Well, it's not really. The badgers will hunt for ground nests and things like that. If they came across a leveret, I would be quite confident that if they could catch it, they would. But as you rightly said, hares are built for running. They can do 35 mile an hour flat out. <laughs> wow! And they also, as you've noticed, are absolutely superb at zigzagging. And we, well, my father, used to have a whippet called Sailor. And one of Sailor's favourite activities was to give the hares a bit of exercise from time <laughs> to time. However... Sailor was extremely rapid in a straight line over a short distance and he couldn't turn corners like hares can and so he either ended up on his side or if the hare, <laughs> if the hare went straight through the hedge then Sailor would impale himself in the hedge and that would be the end of that. But they are staggeringly good at... at Your father's still got a whippet. Yeah, I know, but the, the one he's got now is slightly useless. Mm. The one he had before was much more entertaining. I've warned him if it goes near my cat, it's going to be bad news it for him. It may be the last thing it does. Just to keep you up to date on Kellogg's, he's shut in. It's just no good, because if a customer comes and he starts doing that cock a doodle fluffing up his feathers thing... I'd just like to say at this point that Kellogg's is a, a cockerel, not a whippet. Do they know that? <laughs> Uh, sorry, if you're a new listener, could you just go back and listen to a few, le- you know, a few others before you get to this one? And if you are normal listeners, well, you know who Kellogg's is. He's shut in. He's attacked too many people. Listen, Norm, we're trying to hug him, but it's no good. But I've got a question here from Andrew O'Shea. And he says, thanks for giving me the estimated timed arrival for the flowers on Friday. They arrived just before 12. I told him they'd be there about 12. My daughter was really surprised and loved the flowers. I'll certainly be ordering again. The Wiggly service is fantastic and the quality of the product first rate. Good man, Andrew. Here's my question on cockerels for Ricardo. Well, he's not here, but you have to do, Farmer Phil. When Ricardo comes back finally to the Wiggly sofa, we'll ask him as well. When living in the country, the crowing of a cockerel is much accepted as part of country life. Similar in the towns and cities with noise from traffic, aircraft and loud music. Whilst people tolerate this, the crow of a cockerel can become the bone of contention. Whilst in most towns and cities there is no specific law on keeping cockerels, you can be pulled up on disturbing the peace. What is the team's view on keeping cockerels in towns and cities? Kind regards, Andrew O'Shea at O'Shea76 on Twitter. Farmer Phil, what do you reckon? Well, it's like all house animals, isn't it? In Madeira, for example, the thing was with a family to have a pig. And the idea of these things is recycling, really. It's you give them the household waste, and whether you're a cockerel or a pig, the result is much the same. You either produce chicken meat or eggs or pig meat. As somebody who lives in the country, I haven't got too much time for people complaining about the cock crowing but having said that if he woke me up at some ridiculous time in the morning and you know I was on shifts or whatever else I wouldn't be terribly happy I don't have a glib answer well I do have a glib answer actually cocko van is the glib answer but uh, it's a difficult one really isn't it I've got the answer for it in my opinion you know cockles are fine in the countryside because our cockle is what 50 metres away from the house. He's noisy, certainly. He's 100 metres away from anyone else's house. 
You know, it's ridiculous to have a cockerel right in a town as a recycling unit. What you need is that great silent composter, the worm. That solves all your problems. You put your kitchen waste in, out comes your worm cast. You've no need to go cock-a-doodle-doing. But your worm eggs on, on a bit of fried bread of a morning don't <laughs> go so much, do they? But having said that, you perhaps don't have the cockerel and just have the hens because they don't cock-a-doodle-doo. There we are. I go for the worms. Farmer Phil goes for the cockerel. We'll ask Ricardo for the deciding vote when he's back in. In the meantime, there's one thing that is flying out of the wiggly door. Do you know what it is? What would that be? It's mealworms. It is raving, raving mealworms. Everyone is buying them. Nobody's buying tubs. Everyone's buying bags. They're supporting their robins. They're supporting their songbirds. Very stressful time. At it's the actually quite important because while the weather is cold, as it is now, insects aren't flying. I know. And they aren't presumably breeding. He's right. And insects are the only source of moisture for those little fledglings. It'll be along right. in a minute. And so mealworms is the best bet. He's absolutely right. Now listen, little tip for you, dear podcast listener. If you've not subscribed to the Wiggly Emus, do it this week. Do it straight away because in that e-news is a free tub of mealworms because we like to do our little bit for those fledglings at this time of year. So with every farmer fills birdseed order, you'll get a free tub of mealworms. But to get that, you need to go and subscribe to the e-news. Go to our new homepage. It might be up by then if I persuade Michael really hard. Could be up this afternoon. But anyway, go to our new homepage and our new website's been updated with all sorts of lovely goodies. Go there and subscribe to the e-news and then you'll get the code. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Have I not said that for a while? I don't think I have. But I thank you very much for joining us. It's lovely to have you with us on the sofa. You've got your own seat just there. We talk to you every week and hope you have a great time. Hey, festival soon. Hey Festival, 27th of May. So he's thinking about that, Wiggly Garden there. I've got Rach with the strimmer. As you listen, dear listener, to this podcast, if you're listening on the morning of the 10th of May, Miss Rachel is donning her strimmer and has her lawnmower in hand and she and I are at the Hay Festival Garden sort of wiggling it. So uh, come on down on the 27th of May to the 6th of June. Enjoy Hay Festival. Bye from me. And bye from me. Okay. Oh, much better. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> mm.